Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Yes, Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you that you are here, Lord, present. Moving, Lord, and working, Father. And as the scripture says, Lord, that your word that you send out will not return void, Lord, but it will accomplish what it sent you. And we know, Lord, that you are going to do a mighty work here tonight, Father. And I pray that each and everybody, Lord, open up their hearts, that they have part of that. But that you're going to work and move, that is certain, Lord. And may none of us miss, Lord, what you do tonight. What you reveal, Lord. And thank you, Jesus, through you it's possible. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you enable, you teach, you guide, and you illuminate the beautiful words of Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. So our title for tonight is A Sincere and Pure Devotion to Jesus. A Sincere and Pure Devotion to Jesus. And uh, last year with our spiritual series that we went through and before Relationship Month, looking at the Passover and between Passover and the Promised Land, a lot of stuff stood out, but there was a singular warning constantly coming through and at intercession as we were praying the year as well, and that is, take care lest you be misled. Take care lest you be misled. And we know a lot of stuff is going to happen in the end times and we know a lot of stuff is going to play out a certain way and there's a lot of stuff that's difficult to interpret, difficult to understand. But the one thing that is certain is that there will come people and there already is people that will be leading us astray. That's certain. That's easy to interpret. It can mean nothing else. People are here wanting to mislead us. The enemy is called the deceiver of the world. He wants to deceive, he wants to distort, he wants to lead us astray. And the one thing Jesus says before beginning to speak about the end times, he says, see to it that you are not misled. Before we head into anything, I just want to lift one thing up, and that is see that you are not misled. Many are going to come in my name, a lot of false prophets are going to arise, a lot of false teachers are going to arise, and they are going to lead people astray. 1 Timothy 4 verse 1, the spiritually expressed says in the last days, many will depart from the faith and they will devote themselves to teachings of demons. And that is not an interesting, you know, kind of far-fetched translation. Every Bible says that. <laughs> the Afrikaans work, leerstellings van de That's what scripture says. These people are deceitful workmen. Spirits using people to bring deception into the church. And the question I want to ask us before we dive into the sermon tonight is, what do you think that deception is going to look like? When you think about false teachers, when you think about false prophets, when you think about Satan himself and those who work for him coming to mislead, what pops up into your head? How will it look like? What will the message sound like? What's going to be presented to you? Just there you said, take a, take a minute. I'm going to give us a minute. Quickly reflect on that. How will that look like? What comes to mind? And hopefully we've given it some thought because it's the one warning that like expressly just stands out. What's the message that they are going to proclaim? How are they going to get you to stop following Jesus? How are they going to divide your devotion? 
how's it going to look like? It's the first time I see how some of you look when you're thinking, just making a joke. So we have an idea, we have a perception of how this is going to look like, and mostly, you know, the traditional Christian culture is broadly divided up into two people, you know, the rest of the world, us, and then Satanism. And we almost think, you know, that's the only thing, the only deception, the only way that the enemy is going to lead us astray. And many people have this idea that when this deception comes, when these people come that wants to mislead us, it's going to be as clear as daylight. Man, they're going to wear a badge that says, hey, I'm here to deceive or something. But let's see what scripture says. We're going to read a passage of scripture in 2 Corinthians 11. And I want you to keep in mind what you just thought about when you're thinking about deception coming or false people coming to lead us astray. And it's Paul speaking to the Corinthians and he says the following in verse 1 to 4. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel the divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you, engaged you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Some don't accept it at first, but they put up with it. They tolerate it. They allow the false teaching to be around them. They don't dismiss that. They don't discard that. Put up with it readily enough. And now the question is, who of you thought that the people coming is going to proclaim Jesus? They're going to preach the gospel. And they're going to speak about the spirit of God. Who thought that's what we are going to hear? The deception is subtle. It's not very clear. A Jesus is proclaimed, but it's a different Jesus. The gospel is proclaimed, but it's a different gospel. The spirit is received, but it's a different spirit. You see, and the problem is, and Paul says the same thing about this false teachings and this false deceptions that's going to abound in our days. Take care. Look. Colossians 2 verse 23, it says, these teachings, these false teachings, they have an appearance of wisdom. It sounds as if it can be so. A different Jesus, a different gospel, a different spirit. We see in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, we read that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, which is the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He keeps the unbelievers from seeing the gospel. And if he cannot keep us from seeing the gospel and seeing the image of God and receiving the spirit of God, he wants to distort those three things. You see, we can sum it up in the following. The enemy wants to distort the image of God, the person and work of the Holy Spirit, and the message of the gospel. He wants to distort the image of God, the person and work of the Holy Spirit, and the message of the gospel. Why? Because if we have those three things, if we have a revelation about who God is, if we understand the gospel message and we have responded as we should and we have the spirit of God, doesn't matter what else he does, it will not steal our devotion. 
see it in the life of Job, we see it in the life of the apostles, everything taken away, but yet they remain devoted to God. Each one of the disciples except John killed for their faith, yet they remained faithful to God. Why? Because they kept their eyes fixed on who Jesus is. Kept solid grasp on what the gospel is. And constantly yielded to the leading of the Spirit. Constantly. It doesn't matter what else you do. It doesn't matter what else you throw at us. We will have a pure and sincere devotion if we keep these three things pure. Amen? When we keep them pure. But again, difficult. Difficult to see. Difficult to realize when the enemy comes and distorts these things. Misleading. Deception. That's why it's called deception. It's not that clear to see. Something that you're not aware of. Something that creeps in subtly. And the problem is, is not only does the message come disguised as something good, so also does those who proclaim the message. Look at what Paul says in verse 13 to 15. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguises themselves as servants of righteousness. The end will correspond to their deeds. Shocking. That's not how we picture it. You know, it would have been great if Satan just rocked up and said, Hey, I'm Satan. Do you have five minutes? And then you would have said, no. All of a sudden, I don't. I don't have five minutes. I feel like praying now, all of a sudden. I feel like reading Bible all of a sudden. Maybe it would have been a good thing. But the workmen, you know, certain people don't even know that they are being used by Satan. And some people do. And they don't also come to you and say, hey, I'm sent by Satan. The one who steals, kills and destroys. Do you have five minutes? I have a message that will wreck your life. It's not how it works. It would be cool if we can invent an app, you know, like for the telemarketers. The false apostle app. And as you sit somewhere and a message comes to you, this thing just starts to beep. Not of God, not of God. It would have been great, but it's simply not how it works. And you see, the problem is Paul describes in verse 6, or from verse 5 actually to 14, the, the in-between verses, you can go and read that at home. Making a case, and he says, maybe it's because we were not that eloquent in speech, meaning that these people that came, man, they could preach a good message. Man, they sound wise. The way they speak and debate with the people, it has an appearance of wisdom. And understanding in Jesus' day, with the Stoic philosophy of the day, they're held to ideas such as, you know, the, the character of being wise and eloquent speech are the characters of the same man. means the same thing. Man, if someone can speak well, then man, he must be smart. The better you can speak, the more eloquent you sound. That must be an indication of the understanding that you have. That is not true. Paul actually says to a couple of people that we didn't come in eloquence of speech. Lest the gospel be robbed of his power. Because it doesn't lie in the wisdom of man, but the power of God. That is the gospel. Not in persuasive words. But in the power of God. You see, the problem is the same is still true today. 
We also do that. Man, it, it sounds smart. Jere like soos iets wat ek op Facebook wil post. Sê met my. It sounds as though it's going to make an impact. Man, this is going to get a couple of likes. This sounds wise. And we do the same thing. And we are all to a lot of ideas that simply isn't biblical. And maybe the greatest one in our traditional culture, the gospel, the false gospel of universal salvation, doesn't work that way. Everybody's just saved for some other reason. Nobody dies and doesn't rest in peace. Nobody dies and isn't in a better place. Everybody's just in a better place and everybody's just resting in peace. Not according to Jesus. Matthew 7 verse 14, he says, But narrow is the gate and hard the way that leads to life, and few find it. Verse 13, broad the gate and easy the way that leads to destruction. There where people are not in a better place. There where they are not resting in peace. And those who enter by it are many. So how is it that everybody is just saved? And one of my friends was speaking to a couple of family members about the, the idea that we, all, that we are basically good people. You know, who's, who's ever heard that? Also not true. It's not what the Bible says. We are not basically good people. That's why Jesus had to die. I mean, how do you relate those two things with one another? We are basically good people. So what's needed? No, Jesus has to die. No, it doesn't make sense. Jesus died because we are basically not good people. Now Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, explaining the gift of the Holy Spirit. He makes this by the way statement. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who are? Just a by the way statement. If you're wondering, you're evil by the way. If you are evil. We are not basically good people. And as he was discussing this with his family members, he actually asked the question, okay, is anybody going to hell? Who then is going? If Jesus says, most people will go, few will find life. What's the reality of it? South Africa, the last statistics that were sent out says that 80% of South Africans identify themselves as Christians. Is this a country that bears the fruit of Christianity? No. So how is that possible? That simply cannot be the truth. And when you ask people at work, at home, family, do you believe in Jesus? Are you following Jesus? What's the answer? Yes. According to this scripture, what is a better question? What Jesus are you following? What Jesus do you believe in? I have no doubt that you believe in a Jesus, but is it the God of the Bible? Because there is a difference. Beware of the deception. Now the question we must ask ourselves, how do we test? How do we test this? How do we know? If the deception is not clear, neither those who bring the message. Like I said this morning, the title will tend to one be pastor or domini, apostle or prophet, you know, those more likely maybe. <laughs> that nonetheless, they're going to stand in a church and they're going to sing a couple of songs and there might even be a cross on the building. But that doesn't mean the Jesus that is preached is the Jesus of Scripture. Doesn't mean the gospel that is preached is the gospel of Scripture. Doesn't mean the Spirit that manifests in all kinds of weird and wonderful ways is the Holy Spirit. Doesn't work that way. So how do we know? How do we test? Maybe some of you are thinking, man, we all have to go study theology now. No, because even there, 
It is not what it should be anymore. The theological institutions of this very country, when people come back and say, man, you cannot believe what I heard. Studying theology and the professors say that Jesus was not born of the Virgin Mary. No, that's, that's just a made up story. It sounds nice, but it didn't work that way. Jesus wasn't really raised from the dead. I mean, come on. That's the theology being taught in most places these days. So you can't even go there. So how do we know? How do we test? What is the proof? We see it here in verse 3. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So we know where the battle will be and we know what the fruit of the battle will be. The battle is a battle of the mind. It's a battle for the way we think. And if we hold to the true Jesus, the true gospel, and if we really have the spirit of God, then our devotion will be sincere and pure. But every time we entertain something that's not of God, a different Jesus, a different gospel, a different spirit, our devotion will not be sincere. Our devotion will not be pure. It will move away from that. You see, we can make the argument from the bottom as well. That these deceit, deceitful workmen disguising themselves as works of Christ and righteousness, they're going to come and preach a different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel, and that will cause you to be led away from a pure and sincere devotion to Christ. So that is how we test. So let's do the test today to see where we are. And then next couple of weeks we look at the true Jesus, the true gospel, and the true spirit of God. So firstly, the thing that we have to realize here is something that we so easily forget. That the things that we many times want to address in our lives, when we see that our lives are out of line with scripture, we see bad fruit in our lives, bad character and bad things that we do, we want to address the behavior. Man, I need to be better. Man, I need to try harder. Has ever felt like that? That is the gospel of good advice. That's not the gospel of scripture. The gospel is not good advice, it is good news. It's not something to try out. It's not a, a list of things that I give. Say, man, if you want to improve your life, if you want to be a happier person, try these couple of things and see how they work. No. The battle is not behavior modification. And we have to acknowledge that whenever our lives are out of line with the gospel, it's because we either have unbelief or the wrong idea about who Jesus is, what the gospel is. Who the Spirit of God is. Unbelief or wrong belief. That is what leads to the wrong behavior. It's always a battle of the mind. What does God say in Romans 12? Verse 1 and 2. Bring yourself as a holy sacrifice. Your bodies. Present it to God. Which is your reasonable worship. And be renewed in your mind. That your minds be renewed, that you may discern what the good and perfect will of the Father is. But it's a battle for the mind. That is where the battle will be fought. And it will try and steal our devotion to Jesus. Like a bridegroom waiting for his bride. Single-mindedness of focus. So where does it begin? Sincere. Let's see if we can make this test. A sincere Devotion to Christ. Sincerity or simplicity in different translations. The Greek word there, haplotes. Sincerity and singleness of mind. 
Sincerity and singleness of mind, a singular focus. Now remember for who here is engaged at the moment? Someone? Singles? Kijk naar elkaar, maak een plan. Okay. So, <laughs> this morning we, we had a couple of engaged people. And as I reflected back on when I was engaged, that time I was still working for my brother. I remember one day he came to me and said, man, he just wishes that I can get married already because I am totally useless at work. There is nothing that I can think about except this wife-to-be and this marriage day. Who remembers that? Wow. But remember that, man, that longing for this one thing, single focus, undivided attention. Cannot wait for that day. Cannot wait to be with that person for the rest of my life. And that is what the scripture is speaking about. And the question that we have to ask ourselves as we are sitting here tonight, are we devoted to Jesus? That's the first question. Don't jump past that. Don't just assume that. But are you devoted to Jesus? And is your devotion sincere? Meaning God that you are always the first priority. You never take second place. I'm never going to see the things that I do for you, the devotion that I have for you. never going to take second place. never going to prioritize something else above that. I'm never going to get too busy too and then realize, oh man, God is always first place. We see a story of this in Matthew 22, Luke 14, the parable of the great banquets. Actually, Jesus inviting people to the feast. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Come, the great banquet. Marriage banquet. And as the people hear the message in Mark 20, in Matthew 22, it says they paid no attention and one went off to his business, the other one to his properties. The devotion is there, but it's not towards Jesus. It's towards something else. Too busy now. Luke 14, the same thing. One said, no, I, I just bought a field. First I have to go and look at the field. Other one, now I bought five yokes of oxen. First, I have to go and examine them. Other one, now I just got married. I can't come. God taking second place. And again, this is where we have to understand the God of the Bible. What happens? How does Jesus feel then? Does he feel a little bit dismayed, a little bit sad? No, righteous anger. And he throws the people out there where there will be a weeping and a gnashing of teeth. Where the worm doesn't die and the fire doesn't die out. God of the Bible. And then we move on to purity. A pure devotion to Christ. The Greek word hachnotes, pure and purity of devotion. Pure meaning not mixed or adulterated with any other substance or material. So where the one says that I prioritize God first, purity says I only want God. Not only is he first, that is the only thing I want. I'm not coming to God to get something else. I'm not coming to God for something else. Primarily for him. And this is where godly desires must also find their rightful place. When someone says, Jesus is coming back tomorrow. What is the answer that pops up in your mind? What is the, the questions that's being raised? No man, I, I first wanted to. And who's ever heard that? I will graag by Jesus wees, maar ek wil eers. 
Man, I really want to be with God, but I first want to. First want to get married. First want to to have kids. Still want to do that. Still want to go to that place. And there's a difference between I first want to and I did want to, but it's okay. There's a difference. Ek wil ees en ek wou graag. There's a difference. It's like Jesus is coming back. Man, Lord, I still, I still wanted to, but it's okay because my longing is to be with you more than that. And I know that. I know how that feels like. And then my two boys. I would love for the day when they come to me and say, Dad, I want to be baptized. Can, can, you, can you imagine that? I want to devote myself to God. I want to follow him and see how they follow Jesus with everything in them. See them get married. Have grandchildren. Yes, I, I want to do that, but I want to be with God more than that. I mean, Jesus says he's coming back. Like scripture says, the bride and the spirit cry out, come Lord Jesus, come. Primarily we want you, Lord. Yes, these out of nice things, but they take second place. Primarily to be with you. And we see two examples of this in scripture. One good one, one bad one. Daniel 3, the good one. Sadrach, Mesach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar builds this golden image. I think most of us know the story of the fiery furnace. And they want to bow down before this image as the music starts to play. It's the command given to everybody. Or else they're going to burn in the fiery furnace. And the officials come to Nebuchadnezzar and say, Hey, these, these three Hebrew boys, they don't want to bend down to the statue. And Nebuchadnezzar, you know, he's a king. He has to work with humans the whole day. So the first thing he assumes, Ach, hulle verstaan al nie. And he calls them, it's funny for me, calls them and tries to explain to them, Okay, Owens, as die muziek speel, moet julle so maak. And they're like, no, no, you don't have to explain to us. We understand what you want. But we won't bow down. And they say something beautiful in verse 17 and 18. They say that we know that our God is able to rescue us from the fire and to deliver us from your hand. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. We know that our God can, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. Because we are not worshipping him for what he can give, but because of who he is. That's why we worship him. He's worthy before he does stuff for us. He is still worthy of it all. In John 6, we see the opposite. And it looks like man of devotion. These people are really sincerely devoted to Christ. Just after Jesus fed the 5,000 with bread. And the people wake up the next morning and they see Jesus left to the other side. Went to Capernaum. And they stand up and they walk long ways and they leave a lot of stuff to go and seek Jesus and to find Jesus. And it looks like devotion. These people are leaving anything. They are walking long ways to find Jesus, to follow Jesus. It really looks like devotion. But what does Jesus say when the people rock up? You're not following me because of who I am. You're following me because you ate yourself full of the loaves. You want more bread. You don't want me, you want what I can give. And you see how many times we hear that in our day. Lord, we will follow you if. If. Then we will follow you. Or if you, you know, as if God needs to prove himself to us. No. That is not the God of the Bible. He doesn't need to show himself to anybody. In fact, we can be glad that he doesn't rock up here. 
in his full glory because then we'll all be dead just if you were wondering that's not how it works I said it this morning as well for the traditional Afrikaners this morning I asked permission I'll ask it again is it okay to be stir? is it right in hand what say Vian is the English vrouw getrouwd maar ok he is Afrikaner I can take him go I had no one family what but also with English Geloof the dag. I don't know what that's in English. So English for that. It's bigger, better. But geloof the dag. Weet jy hoe begin die geloofte? Wie ken die woorde? Hier staan ons voor die heilige God van die heel al en sê vir hom as hy. As hy dan sal ons, as hy ons verlos, dan sal ons een plek oprig tot sy naam, dan sal ons om eer vir generaties. Nee, that is not the God of the Bible. We do not say we stand in front of a holy God and tell him if he, then we. That's not how it works. That's not the gospel. That is not the image of God that we should have. Holy fear. And say, Lord, we are standing in front of the holy God of the universe and say, because you are, we will. Irrelevant of what you do and when you deliver us and when you protect in God. It's not how it works. We read through the book of Acts of the Apostles in one chapter. James, the head of the Jerusalem chips, he gets beheaded for his faith. Head chopped off. In the next chapter, an angel opens up the doors for Peter and them to run free. Same God they're serving. The one loses his life and the one's life is preserved. But we don't follow God because of what he can do for us. We follow him because of who he is. And again the question, are you devoted to Jesus? And is your devotion pure? Is your devotion pure? To end off us with Luke 21 verse 36. Jesus speaking just after he spoke about the end times and the stuff that's going to happen. And he says, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. In the week I was speaking to one of the guys in my small group, we were reading the Gospel of Mark together and I was so convicted. You know, we all know the passage of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And asking Peter, James and John to pray with him. And he went a, a while off and he prayed and he came back. And what did he say to them? When he found them asleep. Could you not even watch one hour? If Jesus were to ask that question for us here tonight. Being watchful in prayer. He means could you not even stay awake and pray for one hour? How are you doing when that question is asked tonight? Can you not even stay awake one hour? I mean, for most Christians today, praying an hour, it's like ridiculous. Now, we're not that crazy people. Jesus is saying, no, could you not even pray one hour? Not in a condemning way, but showing us that what? The flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. Yield to the leading of the spirit, but let's stay awake. In the beginning of the year, we had the rooted sermon as I drive past a couple of the boards that were put up. 
But asking yourself that question, are you rooted in scripture? Are you rooted in prayer? Are you rooted in fellowship? Are you staying awake? Are you praying at all times? Because if not, you will not have the strength to escape these things. And I put up a couple of prayer points for us. The first one, am I devoted to Jesus? And again, don't jump past that question. Don't just assume that. You see, we were made to worship something as human beings. We were made to be devoted to something. So you are devoted to something. You are worshiping something. You are worshiping and following something. But the question is, is that Jesus? Is it Jesus we are following? And what would the answer be if you ask the people around you? When you look at the way you manage your time, what is the answer? Let the last couple of weeks of your life answer the question for you. Are you devoted to Jesus? Because somewhere when you reflect on how you spent your time, it must echo, man, I'm devoted to Christ. Are you with me? For those of us who have kids, what are your kids going to say when you ask them that question? What's the most important thing for mom and dad? When you reflect on what we tell you to do, when we reflect on your priorities that we give you, or the first thing that fall away when crunch time comes, the thing that we set aside to do the other stuff, well, what is that? What will your kids say? Are you devoted to Jesus? And the second one, is my devotion sincere? And is my devotion pure? And you see, the thing that we have to understand is that not only is Jesus worthy of it, he demands it. We read in Revelations 2, speaking to the church in Ephesus, and he says a lot of good things. I know your works, toil and perseverance, these people working hard for Jesus, and how you are patiently bearing up for my name's sake, meaning they are receiving persecution and they are endearing in that. Are you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and found them to be false? They have doctrinal soundness and how you cannot bear with evil people in a state of moral purity that's kind of a good church doing good works for jesus enduring persecution sound doctrine and in a state of moral purity that's kind of a good church and what is the next words that jesus says but i have this against you that you have forsaken the love that you had at first repent and return or else i will remove this church out of its place I will remove my spirit. I will remove the church. You see, Jesus is not only worthy of a pure and sincere devotion. He demands it. And because he is a holy, righteous God, it can be no other way. Not only is the gospel worthy of it, but it demands it. Not only does the Holy Spirit empower it, but he demands it as well. Are you with me? Let's stand pray together. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can come before you, Father. And we pray, Lord, before we assume stuff, Lord, before we jump to conclusions, Father, as a congregation, we want to come and ask you, Father, that you show us. Holy Spirit, you guide us to come and answer the question, Lord, are we devoted to you? And is our devotion sincere? And is our devotion pure? Just there where you're standing, when you reflect on those questions, bring it before God. Don't assume them. Pray, pray, ask God. Lord, am I devoted to you? 
and allow God to come and show you allow God to come and reveal this to you and if the answer is no no there's, there's, there hasn't been a time in my life where I can really say I've been devoted to God and you ask yourself what, what, what am I to do how do I respond to this as Paul, Peter said to the people in Jerusalem after he preached the first sermons, when they also said, what must we do? The answer is, repent of your sins. Be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent of your sins. That is how you turn to Christ. Confess them. For if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But be specific. Don't just say, oh Lord, I forgive, my, forgive me my sins. What, what, what are they? Allow God to come and show you and lay them down one by one. As you start to follow Him in obedience. You see, if we say we believe God, belief is seen in obedience. can be no other way. If I say I believe you and you told me something, gave me advice, then I do that. Belief is obedience. Faith is obedience. So if you want to turn to God tonight, just there we are. Confess your sins to Him. Start following Him. And the first step is baptism. It's what God commands of us in Scripture. Not infant baptism. There is not a single passage that speaks about a baby being baptized. There is not a single example in all of Scripture of a baby being baptized. And if that is what God meant, then it would be the only thing instructs all of us to do that hasn't a single example to be found in scripture it speaks about when we proclaim and confess Jesus as Lord then we are baptized if you are here tonight and you are standing and you say my devotion when I reflect on that when I ask Jesus the question these things pop up that are dividing my devotion it's not sincere Jesus isn't always first in fact, rarely so. Just the way you stand, repent of those things and return to God. If you are saying my devotion isn't pure, if I'm honest with myself, man, I want God to come and fix this relationship. I, I actually want God to go and give me that thing, man. I'm longing for a husband or a wife. I'm longing for God to come and save someone, to come and heal someone more actually than I want to be with Him. God reveals that you repent of those things. If it's bad desires, get rid of them. And if it's good desires, let it find its rightful place under God. But He is first and foremost. And if you are standing here tonight and you have ever said to God, Lord, if you then I will repent of that. Repent of that. Say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry that I even thought that way, Lord. Come and give me a revelation of who you are. Because we do not follow you because of what you can do, but because of who you are. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. In Jesus' name.